My name is Frankie Lewis, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hello, you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. I'm Frankie, a writer with The Daily Emerald. This is the first episode of our new series, Spotlight on Science. In this series, we'll bring in some members of the University of Oregon science community and ask them to explain their research in simple language that we can all understand. Today, our very first guest is Professor Michael Haley, an organic chemistry professor here at the UO. I wanted to sit down with Dr. Haley after I took his organic chemistry class last term. We spoke about his research into helping farmers use fertilizer more efficiently, his passion for kayaking, his growth as a teacher and chemist, and his Boston Terrier, Ricky Bobby. So welcome to the uh, uh, Spotlight on Science podcast. Uh, my name is Frankie Lewis. I'm an arts and culture writer for the Daily Emerald. Uh, alongside me today, we have Professor Michael Haley, um, a organic chemistry professor, um, teaching in Oregon since 1993, um, served as the head of the chemistry department from 2008 to 2014, co-authored over 160 papers, um, and new, among numerous other awards and recognitions. So thanks for being here. How oh, are you happy doing? to be here. How Great. are you doing? Great. <laughs> um, so I looked on your website, and it says your research interests of your group are uh, deeply rooted in the exploration of important non-natural pi-electron-rich systems. Can you explain that in layman terms? <laughs> well, I guess I say I should make you explain it, having had uh, organic with me last term, but I, I won't. So, so the one of the big areas in organic chemistry is I want to say natural product chemistry. So, where people isolate real molecules from like sponges in the deep sea, or a perfect one would be taxol from the yew trees in the Pacific Northwest, and so those are made naturally. And so, when I say unnatural products, <laughs> essentially these these are completely man-made, completely human thought up um, kinds of organic molecules. And so when I say also with pi electrons, again, I should say you should know exactly what this is, but uh, it's essentially molecules that are very electron rich. And so more often than not, you're going to find systems like these in you know, modern day conveniences, your cell phone, your your OLED uh, lights, you're going to find it in your OLED TV. And so these are the kind of molecules, one of the areas that we work in. Interesting. And does this um, in any way coordinate with your invention of the fertilization monitor? I know you mentioned uh-huh, that in yeah. class. Um, how did you get involved with this project, and um, what were maybe some of the challenges involved with that? Well, I, I think I, you know, one of the things that I feel really fortunate about is that serendipity has come along and bit us in the butt more times than I cared, <laughs> care to admit. And what we started out to do all along was, and again, I'm going to anthropomorphize this, that essentially imagine you eating a, a Subway, oops, I probably shouldn't say that, but you know, a sandwich for that you buy across the street in the EMU. Yeah. And that, you know, you've got your two hands, you're holding onto the sandwich and you're biting into it. And so what we were trying to do was come up with a type of molecule that could instead of a sandwich there that we're trying to hold on to something that is what is called an anion. And so in very, again, layman's terms, trying to get to that, anions tend to be something that has a negative charge. So if you think of table salt, 
that's sodium chloride. The sodium has a plus charge, a positive charge, and the chloride has a minus charge. And actually, in soil, that is probably the number one anion that you find. But the second most prevalent is nitrate. And if you think about what's the most common use of nitrate, it's fertilizer. And obviously, humans absolutely depend upon fertilizer that if you don't have enough fertilizer on your crops, you know, they don't, plants don't grow big enough. And for the farmers, they don't get paid enough. And yet on the flip side, if you put too much on, not only do you like you would do in grass, you burn the grass, but also you end up having this go into the, um, what I want to say, the, the aqueous layer. So in other words, it dissolves in the rain, not like it doesn't rain in the Willamette Valley. No, never. Never. Yeah. And therefore, it goes into the water and runs off into the rivers and into the deltas. And so you end up with things like dead zones off like either the Columbia River Delta, or you see these ginormous algae blooms that you might see in some of the ponds around here. And so we got into this again by accident. And so we were originally trying to aim for detecting chloride. So again, table salt. And one of the things that we always do is that we always make various solutions of these anions. And we try each one of our kind of, you know, either human hands or you could even think of it like I think I showed in class where it was like a giant, you know, Dungeness crab where the crab right. is trying to hold yeah. on to the this. And it turns out that when it binds to the nitrate, it lights up under a black light. So it glows, it fluoresces. And so that was the big, you know, aha moment. We set out to do chloride, didn't do squat for chloride, but it worked beautifully for nitrate. And so what came along next was that because we had made this discovery on an NSF grant, National Science Foundation funded research. So we ended up applying for a small grant that would allow us to find out if we could commercialize this. And son of a gun, the graduate student that made the discovery um, figured out that there was a need. I mean, again, you look at the dead zones and algae blooms, there's a clear need for this. And here we are five years later, the company got bought and turned out pretty well we haven't commercialized anything yet we're still trying to work how to scale that up but it, again it was an it was complete well, it wasn't entirely a fluke but it worked and it worked really well well that's kind of a theme in in science a lot of times is this discovery by accident right has that ever happened to you before in any kind of oh yeah oh yeah i mean i number of times in my research group where we've had things come along by accident it's you know 10, 12 times. Another perfect example of this is these, again, unnatural or non-natural pi-rich molecules that we make. The kinds that we're working on right now stemmed from an accidental discovery back in uh, fall of 2010 where the graduate student was doing the reaction. Didn't work did not work and we were really disappointed and so i told him you know well take off the solvent molecule the basically what the molecule was dissolved in and let's figure out what had happened if anything to the starting material and the problem is when you have 20 plus year old equipment in the lab sometimes you've got to um give it a little heat in order to <laughs> to uh, get 
this thing to do what we want it to do. And son of a gun, if the solution, the color of the liquid, turned from yellow to just deep, almost the blue of a brand new pair of blue jeans. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it was just an accident that it was like, wow, it it changed it reacted yeah. actually as we were trying to get back the starting materials so that's another example of like no i would not have ever guessed it would have worked as well as it did interesting um did you always know you wanted to be an organic chemist or when was that moment um that you knew you wanted to pursue this as a career about the same position you are in right now having <laughs> taken organic chemistry um i like an organic to cooking and that if you follow a recipe and you mix the couple of things together, in theory, you should get uh, what what you hope to get out of it. Doesn't always work that way, but in theory, yeah. you should. And it was after my sophomore year in college that I got to do undergraduate research in a lab, and. I could absolutely burn that lab notebook, and nothing would have ever mattered because nothing came out of it. But it absolutely was the hook that showed me that this is what I wanted to do as a career. And then when it came time to actually think about you know, whether I go into industry or academics, it was TAing, so being a teaching assistant in a undergraduate course my senior year at Rice, and I thoroughly loved it and conveying the knowledge and seeing the light bulb go on and you know here it is some 20 30 plus years later and i'm still a professor here and i love it i still and, enjoy it and you became professor at oregon about 20-ish years ago correct? 24 years 24 ago. years before ago before you were born I, that's insane to me yeah i had but i had a lot more hair at that time too <laughs> um so i guess maybe what's like the strangest f fact you've learned in organic chemistry, one of the strangest moments you've had. Okay, we're gonna have to pause. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I got think I, about that. I got to think. Strangest moment in in I mean, just in the lab or teaching or uh, what? Any anything oddest moment? Like student asked a funny question or some kind of um, maybe your graduate student, like as you said, kind of like discovered something by accident. Or, I mean, we've had, you know, like I said, innumerable or some things. funny I mean, anecdote from lab. Like I someone mean, spilled something. And well, uh, I mean, I I, I think <laughs> sure that's I happened think, a lot. <laughs> well, I think I think of. I freely admit, I think of having taught that organic class for as many years as I have and having, you know, in interesting interactions over those years. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that surprised me most was I had one student in the middle of the class, um, this, gosh, has been 15 years ago, as we were going, he would routinely interrupt and whatever, and he blurted out, you're wrong. And I mean, I'm just like, I beg your pardon? No, that's not right. I, Because he had done this repeatedly or whatever. Yeah. And so I said, no, you're wrong. Look in the damn book. <laughs> and so that was one of the few times where, you know, it came back to haunt me on the teaching evaluations. Uh, the other one the other one that comes to mind, and um, you may need to bleep this out, is that um, – one of the exam review sessions, and you know how I do those. They're mm -hmm. pretty rapid-fire shotgun. Yeah, and you've got, I mean, to give people some context, he's got 250-plus kids in an auditorium at 
you know, dinner time basically and trying to get all this organic chemistry info out literally the night before the test. Well, and, and it's like, how do you condense three weeks of material into a 75, 80 minute lecture? And I got finished doing one of these and it was, I was getting really tired. It was close to the end. And one of the students raises their hand and says, well, but that's an awful lot of material. I don't know if I can, you know, I, you know, this is just too much. And I looked at him in a straight face and I said, no shit. <laughs> and the entire auditorium just erupted in laughter. Cause I mean, it is, I mean, yeah. I mean, as I've, I've joked with you guys that, you know, you are, I'm at least I care. And, and once they get into grad into medical school or whatever that most folks are going into, they're throwing these details so hard and fast to you. They don't care. You've paid your 50 K in tuition. They, 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 they don't care. But you know, it's, it, that's, those are the two things that immediately pop into mind. Um, you might get a little offended by this question, but, um, some people out there probably don't care at all about chemistry. Why should people care about organic chemistry? Oh, why should no? And I'm not. I'm not offended by that at all. Why should people care about chemistry or even organic chemistry? Well, I mean, let's say, okay, with the clothes that we've got on, you would be naked without organic chemistry because all of the polymers, so the polyesters, the nylons, whatever that make your clothes, the cotton, cotton, cotton is a is a a polymer. So there's one thing. Um, take that cell phone and just stomp on it because you would not have the 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 displays the uber fast displays that the iPhones have mm-hmm. without organic molecules so get rid of that um let's see take the tires off your car because without organic chemistry you wouldn't have the rubbers for the tires the synthetic rubbers that they make for the tires so organic chemistry is so I mean, drugs. I mean, a lot of the modern pharmaceuticals. I mean, even as something as simple as aspirin, which you should be able to draw, um, you know, you know, without exactly <laughs> without those, you know, we we would be, you know, in, in big, big trouble. So organic chemistry is so ubiquitous in a human's daily life now. You can't live without it. And I think you bring up um, a good point, too. You bring up, like, tires on cars, for example, and that's still considered organic chemistry. Maybe distinguish, for some people who don't know, what exactly is organic chemistry, and how is that different from general chemistry or analytical chemistry or something, other fields? So organic chemistry originally came about by just it was the origins of life so essentially it's not biochemistry but it's the chemistry that surrounds life and what are we made of the building block is carbon so organic chemistry is basically the chemistry of the carbon atom which is what we're based out of and all of myriad reactions that can happen as part of that and you know fortunately we're not based on silicon like it was in that star trek episode or whatever (laughs) but or but still you know there's just so many different ways that you can as you saw last term manipulate a carbon atom and and it leads to just all these various different things and properties that one can can have i mean propane in your propane gas tanks uh, you know, gasoline, very simple organic molecules to something as complex as as the proteins and peptides that hold us together, DNA. 
So nice. Um, and I guess another question too that I think this can apply to almost any profession or profession. Um, why when you tell people that you're an organic chemist, um, <laughs> they run away. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is there any kind of misconception that you have to respond to, or is there a stereotype that you have to deal with a lot of the times? Generally, if it's anybody that is in a medical profession, it's either one of two things. They either loved O'Kim or they hated O'Kim. There's no there's no there's no fifty fifty kind of medium. It was okay. No. They either loved it or hate it. So that's that's you know one of the things I always joke about. But I, I think the other thing that comes most people oh, 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 you're awfully nerdy, aren't you? And I think it's like any profession. If you are in love with what you do, doesn't matter what the heck it is is and so yeah i get the nerdy stereotype thing but i mean you know yeah well i mean you're not traditionally i mean you enjoy i mean i know you've posted pictures of like your kayaking trips um you like to be outside right you're gardening sometimes right um is are those releases for you or is have oh, you always yeah. loved it <laughs> oh hell yeah so 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 and it's it's funny so i learned uh whitewater kayak from a student that took okim from me Really? And so he wanted he was going to go to med school, started doing undergraduate research in my research group. And so the joke was he would teach me how to kayak and teach him how to be an organic chemist. And, and, I mean, it was a pretty damn good deal. Actually, yeah. I've been doing it for 20, almost 20 years now. And then he uh, actually is now a doctor with uh, three kids over in Bend in practice. Really? So he's you still maintain pretty close. I haven't, contact? I haven't talked to him in a while, but, you know, he he's did really really well and explain to me too you have a dog named ricky bobby yes you're, you're gonna need to explain to the listeners the origin of of the dog i mean well i mean i mean i mean anybody that's uh, you know knows their pop culture references knows <laughs> ricky bobby from talladega nights and and so and as, as many of the students know i that take my course i have a, I have a boston terrier and i always have an affinity for Boston Terriers, and it turns out that when I got him, he already came named um, from them because he was a rescue dog, and so the stupid American Kennel Club name they had was Jetton's Ricky T, and I'm not going to call my <laughs> dog that, and so we, st- it, we started calling Ricky, and then as soon as Talladega Nights came out, the Ricky Bobby stuck, and again, you you know, you've, you've seen, you've come to my office, you've seen what he is, he's either, you know, all on or all off and when he's on he's just spastic and crazy and whatever and that immediately made me think of will ferrell and talented nights <laughs> that's awesome so is there an, there's an open invitation to all students then to go visit ricky bobby in your office uh, he is a therapy dog <laughs> i mean my my grad students come over and the undergraduates in my group come over and they you know pet him and play with him and whatever I noticed, I think there's a ge- uh, geology professor in Columbia who also has a dog, too, I've noticed that's been out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think his name is Dave. Um, I think that maybe I wonder if there's a competition going I don't, on. I don't know. Have, I mean, I, what's interesting is, is that he actually keeps science the- Science professor hierarchy with the dogs. I, so, well, but they're, they're, I mean, we, we need to be careful and keep this under wraps because we don't want UOPD to come down <laughs> on us. But, but, but the honest answer is, is that, you know, I I've been bringing him to work, good God, for ten years, and and he 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 loves it. And his predecessor came to work for thirteen years. But again, you know, it it's you know single guy. I hear like twelve hours a day. <laughs> I don't want to have to drive all the way across town and let the dog out. Um, and then just starting to wrap up here. Yeah. Um, maybe I always like to ask this question: What's one thing you've never been asked before that you wish someone would have asked? 
Okay. Yeah. You're gonna you're really gonna have to hit pause yeah. on that one. <laughs> Wish I had been asked. I can give it to you. What's one thing you've been asked before? That you wish someone would ask. And some I'll give you some. So okay, some people, me. some people have said like, I wish someone would have asked. You know, do you love your job or something? Right. Or um, I've w- I wish someone would have asked um, a certain detail. Or maybe it's, maybe for starters, think of like one of the best questions you've ever been asked, like in class or maybe when you were becoming an organic chemist in mm-hmm. Rice. What was one? mentor or professor asked you a question or something that really got you thinking in a certain way do you remember a specific moment like that <laughs> god no no <laughs> why 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 lie no um something i wish that I had been asked I me mean, you could pass on it if you've got i mean i, I mean I'm, I'm, it's funny I'm, I'm struggling on this one just simply because i i think one of the things that i wish more people ask is why do you do this and hands down, it's because I love it. I mean, I, 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 I love doing the research. I love doing being my own boss. But I also love the teaching. And hopefully, you know, that has come, I hope came across last term. And I really enjoy it when the light bulb goes on. I, I always love those light bulb moments. And I think one of the things that there is always, I think, some misconception with people, with students or whatever, that kind of what I was saying to you before we, we came down here, which is there's not an either or when it comes to research or teaching. And and despite what some people may think, you can actually be good at both. And hopefully that's the kind of people that Oregon hires. It doesn't always work out that way, but in the, there's a bunch of us that really like to do both. And so I think, you know, why do I do it? And why I do it is because of people like you. And it's just seeing the, the light bulb moment come on where people get it. Awesome. And I think Emerson was giving me the wrap up sign, so we should probably um, wrap this up. But we'll go visit Ricky Bobby after um, we're done. Or you can bring him next time. Yeah, there we, there we yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much. Um, well, this thanks, Ricky. Thank you. This is our first episode of Spotlight on Science. I'm Frankie Lewis. If you'd like to recommend your science professor or science member for us to interview, send them our way. If you liked what you heard today, let us know what you thought. Feel free to leave a comment on our SoundCloud stream. The music in this episode is Zombie Disco by Six Umbrellas, which we found on freemusicarchive.org. To hear more from the Emerald Podcast Network, you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and listen to these episodes right on the Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening.